1: Welcome to my millennial career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. Hey, M. Hey, Shell. Emily
0: Bowen here, and I work for a business called Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. And today, it's just us. It is just us. It's been a while. I know. I've been so (laughs) pumped (laughs) to
1: just hang out with you and just kind of, like, we have we were meant to start recording it like an hour ago, but we an Hour and a half, I think. Really? We've just been chatting
0: away. Yeah, we have. And we've been saying for a little while, we need to just do another episode, just the two of us. But then we just keep getting all of these amazing guests who we can't help but have a conversation with. And we've been loving listening back. I was just listening this morning to the Good Boss, Bad Boss episode. I'll finish listening on the way home uh, and I was thinking it's going to be really nice to catch up with just you but at the same time oh, what we get out of these people that we speak with is so good. Uh, so that good. episode was epic. It was really good.
1: Today we're going to be going through some questions from our community which is awesome. There's a stack that have come through career advice, all the things. But before we do.
0: Before we do. So Newcastle Permanent uh, deserves a shout out because they know that experience matters. And with over 118 years of it, you can bank with confidence knowing you're backed by Australia's second largest customer owned financial institution. Not bad. Head on over to newcastlepermanent.com.au.
1: All right, Em, we've caught up for half an hour or an hour and a half. An hour and a
0: half, but time flies when when you're having fun, that's what they say. And
1: we've just been chatting, you know, obviously about us, but now we're going to go through and hit one another with all the questions from the community group. If you're not on our socials, so My Millennial Money Facebook group, search it up, join it's such a great forum to learn grow ask any questions and also insta so my millennial money make sure you're there this is where we kind of get these questions submitted and answered so can i hit you yes the first go one? on hit me with it shell all right i'm going to uh, why don't we start with some easy ones because we can warm up because there are some complex ones down uh, the track that we can work our way towards I'm going to start with a very simple one. Ryan's asked,
0: do you include your high school education on your resume? Oh, please don't. Uh, look, I should say there is a caveat to that. And if you are just leaving high school, so you've just finished maybe a high school certificate, for example, and this is your first job out of school, then yes, include it. But for the majority of our listeners who I know are into their 20s and 30s, they've got some experience under their belt and this is not their first job. Uh, for some of you, you may even have a university degree or some other tertiary qualification. Then no, we don't need to include our school qualifications. We can let those go. The reason being that your experience by this point in your career and your uh, qualifications that you've got through uni, through TAFE, they actually trump anything that a HSC can add to your resume. So the resume is really important that we use the I guess space that we've got, which is quite limited to the best of our ability um, and that we actually include only what is super duper relevant and what is going to sell us the best. So let's leave it off and let's use that space for something else. Awesome.
1: All right. I'm going to run with another one. Okay. Troy Duncan has submitted a question. When to take the jump from one job to another? Current job is great, but no room to grow. And I feel like I've been sitting on the fence forever.
0: Oh, you might be able to help me answer this one. The first thing that I think to myself, I mean, I have lots of questions for Troy. We don't know a lot about his particular circumstances, but I would encourage, my perspective is always, have you milked your current workplace and your current, uh, I guess, opportunities in the workplace? for all that you can before you move on? Have you had a conversation with your leader to let them know that you're looking for you know, more growth? Have you done everything within your power to put your hand up for other project opportunities or secondment opportunities? You know, Have you done everything you can in that current workplace given that you're saying that your current job is great, so I'm assuming you like where you work, to actually, uh, as I say, milk it for all it's worth? If you have... And if, you, as I say, you've put your hand up and let your leader know that you're looking for more and that opportunity to grow is just not there, then yeah, it might be time to move on.
1: Blake um, Parrot actually asked a similar question and he said, I'm going to read it because it's really relevant for a lot of people, I think. Currently in the best company I've ever experienced. I really enjoy the product, innovations, people, culture, location. It's a young tech startup vibe with great growth in the last 10 years, we've been kicking goals. My problem is that I seem to be stuck in my role with nowhere to move up anytime soon. I'm driven. I've been in the role for two years, so ready for a new challenge. I know that I have the skills to do really well in the next role up. I'd like a increase in salary motivated um, with a new young family. Question is, would you stick it out or start fresh and chase a role with more money and more responsibility elsewhere, but move potentially to a subpar organisational culture. So this is just, I think this question is similar to Troy's, right, of love the culture, love the, the job, but the room to grow isn't there. So let's
0: dive into this. What are you thinking? I'm sitting here thinking consistently I see people in organisations where the culture is subpar and it is not sustainable and ultimately that ends up breaking that person and decreasing their happiness at work much sooner than other things like opportunity for growth or earning the highest income do. Mm. It's
1: interesting where we feel like we either have one or the other, so we either have good culture and environment and less opportunity I think you can find organizations where you have the combination of these three things where you've got challenge, like a a good challenge, good growth. You've got culture, healthy
0: culture, and you have opportunities. And we should probably add salary in there too, because I think that you can also have a healthy salary that you're satisfied with. Yeah. And so we need to look for those, the organization that gives us that, and you can suss that out at an interview you can. The other thing I think that if we're to crack this scenario open, we need to be talking about is what are your priorities right now? And we just started to hear about some of that in this, uh, I guess, case study that we're looking at where, well, I've got a family, you know, starting to hear what is actually important to this person. Troy was talking about growth opportunities and what is important to you sits at a values level. But we've also talked, Shell, a lot in the past about what sits as a layer above that, and that is what are your goals at the moment? So when you're considering of these motivators or these core drivers that we've rattled off, you're, it's absolutely okay if your primary goal at the moment is to earn as much income as you can to dial back on some of those other motivators. But if your primary goal at the moment is to love where you work and be surrounded by really awesome people and you're happy to forego some salary for that sort of experience each day, then you might look for something yeah. different.
1: Yeah, and, and that's right. We, the goals piece is the most crucial. Work out what your goals are, then you can make the decision to get more money and go to a place that maybe has a worse culture.
0: But my experience is culture always trumps money. Like, yeah, it, it does. Like, and that's to my point earlier. I I cannot think of a time when I have seen someone remain in a role even if they're earning a bazillion dollars where it is destroying their soul because it's a horrible place to spend their time each day. Yeah. So it's weighing it up, hey, like just what – and it is a tough
1: call. I guess that's why we've got multiple questions like this of do I make – do I ha- take the risk? I guess it's, it isn't an either or scenario. You can talk at an interview and get a sense of culture. You absolutely can ask all the questions about what the environment's like to work at, get a vibe and, yeah, is this a culture I want to be part of?
0: And if you're Troy and you're in an organisation and you like that organisation and you're deciding whether it's okay to move on or not, almost go through that interview process within your role at the moment by having conversations with people who can help you determine is there something else that could change right now so that you can stay – You can get your growth opportunities. You can have your cake and eat it too. But it's all about conversations and discovery, I think. And I love having my cake and eating it too. We are just eating brownies and fudge. Delicious. So good. All right, keep us moving, Em. Where to? So the next one, you'll have to forgive me. This is either going to be pronounced Kaya or Kia. It's K-Y-I-A. So thank you for your question. This is perfect for Shell because she is all about uh, when we get a little bit technical from a HR point of view. And I think that's where this question might lead us. So- Kaya, I'm going to go with that, say it with confidence, has explained to us that her responsibilities at work are highly technical, but she's classified as administration. So, I'm thinking maybe here she's talking about salary, she's talking about what award or what might be in her contract. And she has said to us, I'm not sure what title my role should be classified as, and I was wondering if there are any resources to help.
1: Mm, Yeah, it it depends. (laughs) Classic answer. (laughs) So... If you're talking about the award, then yes, there's lots of resources. So let's just think about, let's talk about, if this is a clerical role classified under the clerk's award, clerk's award, however you like to say it, you can go onto Fair Work and find out all the details around how your role has been classified. That's typically where administration roles will sit. And you can look at the levels and go, here's what I do in my role, how does that match the levels under the award
0: and get a sense of if it's a fit. And alternatively, given that we're understanding that she feels like her role is more technical, you might also have a poke around, is there a different award that you yes. feel like you fit into, into better?
1: That's right. So it might be the professional employees or professional services award that you can then start to look at and and sense check How does it fit? And then that becomes a conversation you can take to your employer. Now, that's if it's about the award. What I wonder here with Kaya's situation is it could actually be an internal remuneration framework or system, and there might be a job band or job family called administration, in which case that's been determined by your HR team or by a consultant who's worked in that business then you need to work out why that is cuz you can have a highly technical function still sit within an administration role but we need to understand what is the policy the system the framework that's been used to assess that it is a conversation that you do want to talk to your manager about first before you flick over to HR because i think your manager will be able to give you that insight and Roles change and evolve, don't they, Anne? I was just thinking that. Yeah, they change over time and sometimes it might be a bit of a lag between, oh, now all of a sudden I've had this part added into my job and I haven't had the conversation about how that affects my pay or my level or whatever. So just triggering that conversation with your manager can be, oh, yeah, we've actually missed that or we haven't taken that step and we haven't recognised your roles changed.
0: I wondered that for Kaya as well because – sort of rereading her question and going she said i'm not sure what my ti- what title my role should be classified as so i also start to wonder well is this a situation where it's not just about or it's not about salary and it's actually just about a role title and the time for a title change so we do see where people might enter an organization perhaps it's an engineering organization a legal organization Or something else where you do have that technical, um, I guess, like the nature of the work that is done or the roles that are in the business are technical. And you could come in as an admin support, but over time you're learning so much on the job that to your point, Shell, there's a lag and actually you're finding that you're spending 80% of your time rather than 20% doing technical work and the remainder is administrative. And so perhaps it is time to raise that with your manager and just do a bit of a check-in.
1: Yeah. And then I think back to, (laughs) we're going deep on this, but I think back to even just listening back to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast and Michelle said this amazing thing about not being defined by your job description. Totally. And so just make sure when you have the conversation about job description that you're communicating to your manager and boss, I don't want to make it all about job title or description, I'm just checking it in with you so that it doesn't come across as overly entitlements driven or that you're fixed on a document as such.
0: Yeah, and go in with a really open mind and open ears and not have a preconception about what should be because you might learn something along the way. Just go in there to just pick their brain and see what you learn and then move from there.
1: Awesome. So there's a, two questions, M, that we can go to next that are kind of similar. So Denny and Andy have both asked a similar one. I'll read them. Tips for coming back from overseas and finding a job and career changes in a post-COVID world. I currently work in aviation. So okay.
0: jump in. Straight away, I'm thinking hidden job market. So the hidden job market is something that if you've listened to episodes before, you may have heard us talk about. And The hidden job market is this idea that there's probably only about, it's agreed, 20% of roles that are available that are advertised. So, there's probably only about 20% of vacancies on SEEK, on LinkedIn and on other job boards. And so, then the question remains, well, where are all these other jobs? Where's the other 80%? Where where are those opportunities hiding? And those opportunities are the ones that I want Danny and Andy to really consider and think about and work out. Well, how do they find those? And my advice to these guys would be you find them by being really proactive. So, rather than sitting on Seek and scrolling through and looking for what's advertised and then applying for that with everybody else, you know, huge amounts of competition – I actually encourage these guys to almost forget about that or spend an equivalent amount of time and energy on that and spend the majority of their time and energy working out who's in their network, reaching out to those people, making sure that it's known to anybody that they know or, you know, perhaps to their LinkedIn network through their updating their profile. Make sure that you're actually going out and saying, hey, this is the job I'm looking for or this is the type of opportunity that I'm looking for. Would you happen to know anybody who might be interested in a conversation about that? Here's what I've got to offer. So, you're being quite proactive in your job search. And when you say, here's what I've got to offer, that is
1: so key in those moments where we're having a big change. So someone yes. coming back from overseas where they might not have the same jobs available uh, for Andy who's in aviation where we're not obviously flying anywhere. One of the things I've been really thinking about, M, has been for me personally, what's my value proposition? You know, you've talked for a long time about your career as a business and I've been thinking – well, what is it that I do that is uniquely value adding? What do I offer? What problems do I solve? And for Andy and for Denny, before you reach out to those people in your network, really do a deep dive into what value do I bring? What problems do I solve? Because that will start to help you focus on where's your career change heading? For you, if you solve problems around marketing, Well, then get really specific on the problems that you solve and the value that you add.
0: Yeah, I love that you've used the words focus and specific there because when I say go out to the market and let them know that you're looking for opportunities and what value you've got to offer, we absolutely don't want a slapstick one-size-fits-all approach. We don't just want to shout it from the rooftops that you're looking for a job. Because what that will mean is that you're diluting your message, you're diluting the perception that other people have of you in regards to your employability. Instead, what we want to do is, to your point, get really specific, be really targeted and make sure that we're spending our time basically going, here's what I've got to offer and here's why I think that you could benefit from this. So you being the organisation or somebody that's in need of an employee – And then by being really targeted, you've got a higher chance of being successful. Yeah. All right. I think it's my turn to hit you with one next. So I seem to give you the more technical and tricky questions, Shell, but you won't hold it against me. No, not this time. (laughs) (laughs) Millie has asked, to hear more about what the options, benefits and limitations for casual workers are. Millie has always been casual as the higher pay rate is really attractive Mm. but she's keen to know if she was urgently, or should she be rather, she's saying, hey, should I be urgently looking to change to full or part-time work instead? Yeah, this is such a good question, Millie,
1: and comes up for so many people. I was recently chatting to a client of mine who has tried to get a number of their casuals on to permanent, uh, part-time or full-time, and they had rejected the offer. The casual the casuals. employees? So they wanted ah. to stay casual. And I understand that, but I think it's short-sighted. Okay. And I think it's short-sighted for a number of reasons. So yes, you get 25% loading. Great. You don't get leave, and that is a big factor because you never know, and if you listen to My Millennial Money, you never know when you're going to need emergency funds. And I I just worry when people opt for the immediate benefit of casual loading now over permanency, you never know what's going to happen, A, in your own personal life or B, in the life of the
0: business. And I guess what we're saying there, if we look at it through a financial lens, is if you're opting for the higher pay rate, which I agree, Millie, it's super attractive uh, You know, as you look at it in the moment. You'd want to be a pretty damn good saver putting that away because essentially the onus is on you to put that away in case you ever become unwell or you'd like to take a holiday instead of the employer accruing it if you're a permanent employee on your behalf and making sure that it's there for you when you would like to use it. And the obligations they have to you
1: once you're permanent is generally you're way better off for that so they need to make you redundant if you if the business goes under there's all these different factors as a casual what casual means is you are not guaranteed your hours and people get confused about this they think well I've got a set roster okay yeah you might have a set roster let me tell you you are not guaranteed those hours that can be turned off at, at any, any moment. point moment. and mm. actually what it, the legislation says is you rock up and at every end of your shift, your employment is
0: terminated. You're, yeah, you are unemployed That's at the right. end of every shift and you are employed at the beginning of the next shift.
1: And lots of employees aren't ruthless like that and, and seen in that way, but some do. And so I always encourage people, when there's an opportunity for permanency, take it. Take it. Like there's much more, I think, upside. And the other thing I'll say on this M
0: fair work are really driving permanent employment. They are. I was just about to say, and this is very in the moment commentary, but this year in particular, we're seeing a lot of attention being paid to casual conversion. uh, And there's new, I guess, legislation being brought in. There's changes to legislation that relate to the right of a casual employee to be able to convert to permanency because it's been identified as being really valuable and it's identified
1: that it is in your interest to be permanent so listening to that of okay after 12 months converting to casuals becoming legislated the reason for that
0: is to protect you as the employee totally Hey, there's some questions here that we've got from Alicia and Sally about referees. They're just at the bottom of the page there, Shell. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh my, where are <laughs> no, those? I wouldn't mind just tackling these because it's something that I feel like, even from friends, I'm asked so often and it's such a dilemma where you're in a job and you decide, yep, I'm going to apply for another job. And then the recruiter or the hiring manager turns around and says, cool, can you send me your referees, please? So... Alicia has specifically asked, uh, if I'm looking for another job while I'm employed, who should be my referee? So that's an easy one. Um, I'm happy to answer that. And then the harder question, Shell, which you might be able to tackle, but we could do it together, is, well, how do you, once you've worked out who your referee should be, if it needs to be your current employer, how do you have that conversation, what do you, you know, what do you do when you think maybe they won't speak well about you? Sally's got all these scenarios here that we can can talk through as well. And I will say, as someone who um, knows recruitment, typically what we're looking for is we're looking for a recent employer. Mm. So if you've been in your current organisation for five years, which most people have before they move on, then we want to hear from someone. Anything beyond five years like that's earlier than that you're starting to feel like that referee is a little bit outdated so I think often people are going to find themselves in this situation you go with the f- sure <laughs> <'Cause> I'll, I'll <laughs> I need time to think about all of that it's all right yep. I can help you out with Sally's questions we can do that one together but um yeah look okay so Alicia if you're looking for another job whilst you're still employed who should be my referee I would encourage you when you're doing your resume to not put your referees on your resume unless it's specifically asked for. And typically you'll only find uh, government roles that they will specifically ask for that. They won't always, but if they are going to, it's usually um, government roles. And best practice would be to have someone from your current employer who has been your boss so they can speak specifically about your contribution at work and they know you really well. And then we also want somebody else who is also recent. So, it's either the job just prior, but depending on how long you've been where you are, it may need to be somebody that you reported to in the same organisation previous to this role, or again, someone more senior that maybe sits off to the side that you've worked really closely with.
1: Yeah, so good. There's, and there's the two conversations we need to have. Let's move into Sally's question around how do you have that conversation with your boss? To say, oh,
0: I'm about to jump shit. Yes. Can you <laughs> please say it's really not great things? <laughs> <laughs> and can you please say really great things about me, even though you might not want to lose me? Yeah. Or in another scenario, if you don't have a
1: good relationship with your boss, which I know is the case for some people, and you're then telling them you're you're jeopardizing potentially your relationship with your current employer. So how do we do that? There's two conversations that I think need to happen, Em. And the first is, and I want your perspective, because this is your zone, right? talk to the recruiter about exactly what they're looking for and actually be honest enough to say, look, it is really important to me that I keep the relationship with my current employer sweet and for that reason, I just want to get a sense of what you're looking for from them so that then I can go back and talk to them about this opportunity.
0: Yep, love that. Uh, I I think too often... When we're in a recruitment process, and it usually feels quite foreign to us, we don't do it that often. I mean, we might go through a number of recruitment processes at one time, but once we get a job in an ideal world, we're not doing that again for three years, five years, seven years or more. And yet you've got this recruiter who does it day in, day out. And it is very normal to along the way consult with them and actually ask them, yeah, what do you want? Or explain to them, I think this is going to be tricky for me, so can we work through it together so that you get what you need, which then means I get what I want, which is a job offer.
1: And they know that the stakes are high for you. Like, I think both of us have done so much recruitment over the years, and we know for that candidate, and say, let's say we're taking two candidates through to reference checks, and we want the right person, but we're also, we care enough about the other, maybe the non, not successful one to go, I don't want to jeopardise your existing employment. And we know employment relationships can be tenuous and tricky. And so just stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit to say, look, I, I am conscious of my relationship with my manager and how this is all perceived is it an option for me to talk to someone who's worked on the project with me, who's managed me from that perspective? So you can control the narrative to some extent if your boss, if you're worried that your boss would actually do damage to you in that process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things I'll pick up on there. So another suggestion that I uh, would often make and have seen work really well is is there somebody who you have worked for? So they've been your manager in your current role current organisation, but they've now left. So your manager has actually moved on. So they don't have that vested interest in that existing position that you're in. and But yet they've still got the recency and ability to talk about your performance. Yeah. So that can be another, I mean, it relies on you having a manager that's left recently, but that can be an alternative. And the other thing, Shell, that I just want to pull out of what you were saying is where you have, um, say, an ideal referee, Profile. So, the recruiter says to you, look, we'd really like your current boss or we'd really like somebody who you've worked with recently who's more superior to you or more senior to you, who's seen you work on that project and you're thinking to yourself, well, I could probably get them but they're a terrible communicator. I would really, as far as not doing damage to your uh, chances, I would really encourage you to actually have a conversation with the recruiter where you say, look, I could go to them. My concern is that they're not a strong communicator. You'll find that you might get two words out of them on each question. And I don't think that that's going to make for the best reference check for me or for you because the recruiter is looking to get valuable information from the reference check. And so I would actually also encourage you to be having a conversation about the quality of your referee in amongst all this as well. That is awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking, I had this person actually put me down as a referee Without telling me. Oh,
0: yeah. No, don't do that. Please don't I do that. End, that is horrible for everyone. It's horrible
1: for everyone. It was a horrible reference check. And I did exactly what you just described. I was the worst referee because firstly, I didn't want to be a reference for that person. But secondly, I had no idea it was coming. I didn't know what the role was. I had no context. And so your boss or anyone who's going to be your reference, it's helpful if you give them context about the role. So going back to what conversation do I have with my boss? So we've talked about what conversation we have with the recruiter. Let's talk about what you do with your boss is you get specific about what the role is and why you're interested. You also need to navigate the tension of I haven't got the job. I'm still very much invested in this workplace, but I also am looking long-term at my career opportunities and I think this would be good, but I know that I'm putting you in a difficult spot So kind of just actually call out those tensions and those difficulties and then you can be as explicit as, hey, and I talked to my boss because I've actually just finished up at my job. We'll talk about that in another episode. But I was talking to my boss the other day and said, can you be a reference for me and this is what I'd like for you to communicate. You can
0: be as explicit as that with your manager. Yeah, and even saying to them, I've found through the recruitment process that it's been really important to this employer that they've heard about this style of work that I do or my technical capability or my ability to lead a team. So I think if I was going to give you any heads up referee, it would be to be ready to talk about those things. And here are some reminders of the good work I've done. So actually help the referee, like giving a reference check That is the last line of defense in your um, ability to get a job offer or in your opportunity to get a job offer. And so you're actually relying on this other person to get you over the line and you want to do everything in your, uh, I guess, power to make that as easy and successful as possible. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things
1: well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: Well, have we, what are we thinking? Have we got time for one more? You've been playing timekeeper for us today rather than me. Are we picking? I reckon we've got time for two. Two more. Okay. So, Stacey has asked about red flags and she has asked, what red flags can we look out for in an interview? So, Shell, you've talked about, you know, this idea of looking for red flags at a recruitment stage in order to then make sure that you're going to be really happy once you actually join a work culture. And how can we ask or probe for more info on these topics without sounding like we're interrogating the interviewers? Uh, because she's put her hand up and said that that has happened to her in the past. She could tell that the company didn't actually like that she was asking them questions about their work culture. Yeah, well, that's a I giveaway, start think, isn't Yeah, there's it? a red flag. So <laughs> <laughs> one answer to your question is there is a red flag.
1: One of the things I, this is personal, right? Because we all look for different things when we're going for a job. For me, I'd be looking for how authentic the answers sound. So if they sound genuine and like, yeah, look, this is our culture. We value people. We care about outcomes and results and we have fun. But the interview doesn't actually reflect any of that. Then that incongruence to me would stand out. So I'd be like, You said you valued people, but actually you told me that some of the team aren't good performers and you're
0: trying to, you're doing X, Y, Z to help them. That doesn't really reflect that. Another example I've seen just on this idea of being incongruent or congruent is if an organisation is saying that they value relationships and communication, but then through their interview process, or no, I should say through the recruitment process, you find them difficult to get a hold of. They opt for automated emails over, say, phone calls or more personal communication. It's like, well, I don't know if that is really lining up.
1: Yeah. And and back to that like authenticity piece of of how authentic does what they're saying sound? Does it sound like a party line? Because sometimes you can hear that thing of, oh, they're just kind of, there's this rehearsed sense of what they're talking about with culture. I don't necessarily like that. I I, I like to see that it's lived and breathed and it feels organic and, and natural.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of gut feel and intuition that goes into this, isn't there? Just same as you would with anyone you come into contact with in life. When they explain to you, say you might ask them, so why do people like working here? And then your follow-up might, question might be, do you find that people leave for a particular reason? How genuine does your gut tell you their answers are? Trust your intuition. And and that reminds
1: me, because they're really good questions to ask. Watch the eye contact between the panel. If you're lucky enough to have three people on a panel, which I know isn't always the case, but let's say it is for this scenario... Look at how they look at each other because sometimes they're communicating. There might be like a nod or a little smile or a little like oh, cringe. Yeah. Or a
0: little, who wants to answer this question? Yes. <laughs>
1: and and you can see in, in those non-verbal cues, you can get a read into what the vibe's like.
0: And not just the negative vibe, the positive one as well. If you are with two or three people in that interview and they appear to be having a good time together, then... That's probably what it's going to be like when you work there. All right, I'm going to jump in and ask the last question as well. I feel like I've really been sort of hammering you here, Shell. I don't know if this has been a fair conversation, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> oh, good. I'm not,
0: I'm not worried. This is, I'm learning stuff from you as you're talking I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got I to keep that one in the back yeah, pocket. Yeah, good on you. I feel like we always learn from each other. That's probably why we spent that hour and a half uh, asking Chatting. each other for advice <laughs> beforehand. Uh, all right, so Daniel has asked um, this question. So he needs some basic guidance, he tells us if I have been working in a certain role for over 12 months and with the company for nearly two years and a health condition prevents me from being able to drive for a chunk of time, who do I talk to about my rights in the workplace and about making reasonable adjustments for me? So I'm just going to unpack this a little bit. It sounds like, so Daniel's been with the organisation for two years. He's been in his current role for 12 months. I'm thinking maybe this health condition is a new thing for Daniel. I mean, he will have done pretty well to get by for two years or even 12 months if his roles required something that he can't necessarily, you know, meet the requirements mm. of without some support. So so maybe this has come up as a new challenge for him.
1: Yeah, and there is a requirement. It's right what Daniel has said for the workplace to make reasonable adjustments for health condition or disability or any kind of um, health-related challenge as long as you've got medical... Um, evidence to support that. So, first step from my perspective would be having a conversation with your manager.
0: Okay, with the manager, because Daniel's question is who do I talk to about my rights with the workplace and making in the workplace and making reasonable adjustments? So, you think go to the manager first?
1: Yeah, go to your manager and say, hey, this is happening for me. And I know these can be vulnerable conversations. So, yeah, really scary. A- and I guess you can prepare for it in the sense of. What's going to work best for both parties? So coming at it with, what does my manager want? They want me to do my job. What do I want? I want to be able to do my job as well. So how do we do that in a way that's um, sustainable, reasonable and allows for Daniel to continue and meet his
0: health health requirements? And it, Daniel gives off the vibe that he likes what he does. He likes the organisation. You know, He wants to make this work. And he also gives off the vibe that there are reasonable adjustments that could be made in order to ensure that he can fulfill the requirements of his role. So it's got all the right ingredients. It just needs someone to come in and like mix them all together.
1: Yeah, and bringing in some of that medical documentation and GPs can give you as much or as little as you ask. I I found working and seeing people go through this type of process quite regularly, it's not abnormal. One of the things that happens with health stuff is because it's confidential, it's not talked about.
0: Mm, So So, who knows, everyone else or a lot of other people could have had this experience. Exactly. And you wouldn't even know about it. And so coming at it with... Here's a, a bit of a health
1: plan from my GP. They're saying I can't drive for um, this length of time, but I can do this, this, and this. And being able to s- come with a solution as opposed to, "Hey, manager, I can't do this, and that's it." Yeah. So, what
0: are you going to do about it? Yes. Mm. And uh, you go. And we're going to. I say was something. just going to say, and that is advice that you, in particular, we have sort of preached on the show many times in so many scenarios. And I think that organisations are more flexible than we give them credit for, than we like to assume, you know, because this can be vulnerable. We often prepare ourselves for the worst reaction. But actually, in reality, to our point earlier, the manager is responsible for a lot of people. And so, they're dealing with a lot of flexible scenarios every day. You just don't have visibility of that. And this is just one more that they will work through with you as best they can. So Daniel, go in
1: there, have the conversation, take some solutions and let us know how you go. Yeah, good luck. You'll be fine. Well, Em, that's it for our questions. We love getting them through though. So make sure if you are on the Facebook community, send them through. And if you're not, jump on Follow us on Insta, all the things.
0: Totally, because we have after this, I believe, one more episode for season three, but we've started planning for season four and we're really keen to do more episodes like this. We're going to return uh, to our employment lawyer and we'll have some Q&A in that space as well. The more you guys quiz us on, the better.
1: And I should say where to find us. So LinkedIn, I am Shelley Johnson. And I am Emily Bowen. And I'm glad we know who we are. Yeah. And if you can um, catch it already. <laughs> and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review. That really helps us to get the podcast out there, which is what we want. We want to uh, see and talk more
0: to you. We do, and I don't think we could say end anymore. So let's and leave ended. it there. <laughs> have an awesome have an awesome day. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more